Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, Episode 65. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And each week, Wilson and I share a classic movie we have seen with Charles that he hasn't seen. This week, we watched the 2007 movie, No Country for Old Men. So, Charles, tell us about it. A guy who's out in the desert hunting stumbles across a drug deal gone bad. There's lots of shot people and stuff, and he stumbles upon the about $2 million in a case that was left behind because they had all died. So he goes through great lengths to try to conceal this money because he's being pursued by uh, the assassin hired to recover the money. And so he like has to have his wife sent to another town and he like tries to go to a motel, but people are pursuing him because there's a transponder hidden in the money so they could track him. And so after a lot of this, he wants to meet up with his wife uh, at a hotel so they can try to get away because he thinks he finally has an opening. But his wife's mother gives away their location to um, one of the Mexican drug people who are involved in the deal. And so he gets jumped and shot there and killed. Yeah. Uh, so this was my pick. Yeah, it's uh, one of the great 2007 films. One of many. One of many, yeah. So I've, I've mentioned several times that 2007 is quite possibly the best year in cinema. This is high on the list of best 2007 films. Um, it, it actually won the Oscar, I believe. Um, beat out There'll Be Blood. Um, yeah. And it's just a phenomenal movie. This is the Coen brothers at their darkest I think next to probably Blood Simple um, is only, the only thing they've done that is quite as as dark as this movie. Um, it is complex. It is riveting. Um, one great performance after another from Javier Bardem, from Josh Brolin, from uh, Tommy Lee Jones, over and over again, um, and just articulates the particular brand of nihilism or uncaring that the Coen brothers draw out in so many of their films. Um, it is really just a phenomenal movie. Uh, what do you think of this one, Charles? Uh, I quite enjoyed it. I don't know if I felt the same kind of like hyperbole that, that everyone who reacts to this movie seems to for some reason. Um, but I certainly appreciate, well, a lot of things you described, like the performances, uh, the cinematography is amazing. Roger Deakins did this one. Yes, and it did. shows. Um, and uh, I, I need to like think about it more because I just saw it last night and I feel like I really need to like give it more thought to uh, process like you know the dialogue better yes and that kind of thing because I feel like this has come up a lot I feel like a lot of it <laughs> kind of leaks out of my head as I'm trying to keep together like what's going on in the movie and like paying attention to all that um it feels like I'm trying to hold a bunch of limes and a bunch of them are falling out you know <laughs> um so a lot of these like I appreciate them better when I read some discussion about it and people bring up moments from the movie and it helps me cement my memory of the movie and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and it, we, we, put you, we put you at a disadvantage here every week, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, like they, there's that old adage that you haven't, you haven't really seen a movie until you've seen it the second time. Uh -huh. And there's a lot of truth to that. Like you, the, the second viewing of many movies is often drastically different than the first. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, one of them. Um, it also didn't help that they have very thick southern yes. accents, and sometimes it felt like another Texan. language. It was just Texan. so hard Texan. to... Yeah. Sure, yeah, Texan. <laughs> uh, it was very hard to process like a lot of Tommy Lee Jones' dialogue, yes, and he had a lot of very important dialogue. Yes, he did. And um, my copy of the movie did not have subtitles. Bummer. I would have liked to have to, had To translate them. the foreign language that is yeah. Texan English. Texan English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, you, you are correct. Uh, the, this movie is 
is thick with that. Um, what do you think of this one, uh, Crossman? Oh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so much to it. Yeah, it's it, it is a complex movie. I, I remember very clearly. Javier Bardem's. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, who's he, that scene? He won Best Actor, well deserved. So I, I just checked. They won Best Adapted Screenplay. Javier Bardem won Best uh, Actor, and they won Best Film. Best Film. And they won another award. Um, and PTA won Director that year, right? For There Will Be Blood. Uh, I believe I, so. I think they split it. Yeah. No, they won Director. They did win Director too. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. It was also nominated for cinematography, editing, sound mixing, and sound editing, which what they won, did. What won cinematography that year? Because I know Deacon's didn't win until this year. I mean, that that was a two horse race all year between this and and There Will Be Blood. Um, oh, the maybe that Academy won. Awards. Yeah, because um, I mean, in some ways, they're pretty similar films in that they're both period pieces. They're both in the West. Um, they're both about like you know evil and things like that. Um, so and and they both are just all time phenomenal movies. Um, so they they ended up splitting a lot of categories, I think. Didn't didn't Assassination of Jesse James also come out in seven? Yes, yes, it did. Um, it got zero attention because yeah. that movie is weird and <laughs> and difficult to understand. So, I think uh, I think Deacons also did that one. Yeah, he so did. he had a great year. Yes, he did. He, yeah, he's he was competing year. against himself in the same category for cinematography. Okay. Um, but there will be blood one. It did. Okay, and that movie's gorgeous. So. Okay. Well earned there too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I have a very clear memory of watching this movie um, in the theater. I was taking it was I was in college. It must have been my freshman year, even freshman or sophomore year of college, and I was taking the the first first film class I ever took. Uh, the professor every year would bring the class to the theater once the once a semester and just watch something that's currently playing to like get an idea of what is you know currently being shown in theaters like what's modern not just all this old shit and he happened to choose one of the greatest american movies of all time <laughs> to watch it um and I, I remember very clearly watching it with the entire class and like that those credits hit just out of nowhere and everyone was just dead silent like nobody moved like it was a, a, one of my clearest memories of college actually was watching this movie huh. for that class um it's extraordinary, and I've seen it several times since, since then, and it, it just reveals new things to me every time I see it. Um, there's lots of layers. I haven't rewatched this a lot, but yeah, it's good. it was good to see it. Yeah, yeah. when's the last time you saw it prior to this? Maybe, probably like nine years ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't made an effort to like rewatch it. Yeah, so. and it, it is. A, I mean, it's a dark movie, and it's a movie that doesn't really have a lot of. Uh, optimism or hope in it like it ha it has a pretty bleak understanding of humanity and the universe in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, so not yeah. yeah so like if you don't return to this movie that often i kind of understand because it's yeah, it's, it's dark <laughs> yeah um and the bardeen character is interesting because of that yeah I and mean, we, we can start with him because he, he opens the movie in a lot of ways um the, I think that that I, it struck me this time that opening shot, not op not exactly opening shot, but opening scene, sequence, yeah, where he is strangling the police officer with his handcuffs, for, with the chain from his handcuffs from behind, and the first look you get at him is when he's lying flat on the ground, choking this man to death, blood spraying everywhere. There's a bird's eye shot from above, and he has this crazed look in his eyes. That's the, the first thing I noted from this movie. The yeah, it's the yeah, first it's thing you've seen from him, and you never see it again. 
right? Like that, I think that's kind of fascinating about it is you, you never get that kind of verve in this man or nothing even close to it again. And he, the only time he expresses any kind of feeling or any kind of emotion is when he is in the violent throes of killing a man. Um, and I think that is just so critical to the character. Um, and insofar as he represents, I mean, the common read of, of Shigura here is that he is the inevitability of death, mm -hmm. right? And that he is constantly stalking you. He will never stop. He cannot be evaded. He has no care for your feelings or where you are in life. Yeah, he doesn't moralize it. At all. At all. Yeah. Right. And that he will find you and he will kill you and you cannot prevent it. And that is the way life works, is that death and evil are constantly stalking you and there is nothing you can do to avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, and it has no feeling for you, one way or the other. Um, so I don't know, what, how did, how did uh, Bardem play for you here? Because I had different thoughts on him this time than I had had in prior viewings, but I'm interested what your first impression was. Yeah, I mean, I think I have the same base level impression that everyone else does, because like, he really has such a strong presence mm -hmm. on screen every time he's there. There's just that like feeling of dread, because you know that someone's going to die uh, whenever you see him, or someone's going to, you know, have to play a, play a flip a coin game to see <laughs> yep. if they die or not. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, they, they start him off just like murdering that guy in a very brutal and bloody fashion. And yep. so you immediately know what this guy is capable of. Um, and throughout the rest of the movie, he's just, he's like a slasher film monster. Yeah. That's a good parallel. Um, it, it feels like. And they flip over kind of quickly to the coin flip scene, which I think is one of the most famous scenes in the film. Probably the most famous scene in the film, really. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because that scene is almost a non sequitur because he like deals with this guy but it doesn't really have that much to do with him progressing his chase of Brolin mm -hmm. um, he's just kind of having this interaction with the guy uh, I guess the importance is establishing his characters more yeah it does do that um, yeah it just shows his like distance from what he's doing uh, like he doesn't care if he does or does not kill this guy to him it's it's yeah it, it's it, just a coin flip but yeah, but I, th I think I, I read that scene differently than I had in the past on this viewing. Um, and it's, I think it specifically ties into the, the scene at the very end of the movie where he's talking to the wife character who was in Boardwalk Empire, right? She was the... She was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this movie probably got her that role. Uh, and I think that those two scenes are pretty importantly linked to one another. Because mm -hmm. I think the, the way... The, that the Bardem character is often read is that he, he represents fate, right? That he, he represents an uncaring universe, that, he, that it's something that is beyond control. And what she points out at the end, and what the um, Woody Harrelson character points out as well, I guess that scene is also important here, is that he, is, he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do this, right? And he, he points out that everyone always says that, that you don't, you don't have to do this. And I think that the movie means that. Right, so when he, when Shiguro is talking about this coin has been traveling twenty two years to get here to you, it's the most important coin flip you'll ever make in your life. He is making excuses for himself. He's lying, right? Because it's not up to the coin. It really is up to him. Yeah, I mean, right? he's the one forcing this chance he's, game onto he's, him. He's deciding that the coin is significant. He's deciding that he's going to flip it. He's deciding that what heads and tails means. He's deciding that he's going to kill all these people. 
he is he 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 may conceive himself as as a agent of fate, right, and as an agent of something inevitable. But he's not, right? He is a person, and he is a person that makes choices. And so mm -hmm. when the I forget the character's name, but when the Llewellyn's uh, wife tells him you don't have to do this, and he says that everybody tells him that she she's right and she means it. So this movie, and, and I think the movie drives this home with the car crash at the very end, right? Because he, it is, that's a random act, right? Like that's something coming that's out true, of nowhere. Right? Like that, that's, the, you know, the universe saying I, I'm uncaring, right? What isn't a random act is him tracking down Javier Bardem, or him tracking down Josh Brolin and killing him, him tracking down all these people and murdering them with a choice. Therefore, when people read this movie as saying, as the cones saying, the universe is uncaring, the universe is evil, the universe is coming to kill you, I think they're misunderstanding the movie. Mm -hmm. People's choices are evil, right? The, the universe is not an entity. We are the entities and we com compose the universe. And the choices that we make, the concrete conscious decisions day after day, are what make the universe seem evil and what make uh, so much badness look inevitable. It's because Sugar is making these choices over and over again. He is not fate. He is just a man. And I think that that is what is happening in that coin flip scene. I think that's what's happening in the last scene in the house when he kills the wife. And I think that's what's happening in the car crash at the end of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. I, and I, I, it had not occurred to me before this viewing. Um, and other people may have different thoughts, but I think that the common reading of that character might just be wrong um, and that he is he, he should be understood differently. Yeah, I think there's that juxtaposition between, I guess, what we would, what we would call injustice, because there's some injustice to uh, randomness. Yeah, of course. Um, there's some unfairness to how, I mean, you can just die in a car crash randomly, but right. it's different from actual evil. Um, of like someone making the choice to do something immoral. Exactly. Even right. if they say or seem distant like from their choices. Yeah. Right. And it, it's kind of the distinction between a, a reckless or a negligent act and an intentional act. Right. Because he can like the, the Bardem, Bardem character can say that the coin is making the decision. Right. And that therefore it's random in the same way that a car crash is random. But it's not. Right. Like yeah. a, car, a car crash is much more random than that. Right, nobody is making a conscious choice to crash a car into somebody else, right? And I, I think that that distinction is important. I don't know. Any thoughts on Bardem, Terry Crossman? Um, he's incredibly well played. The restraint in the character is yeah incredible. Um, but he's sort of like looming Frankenstein, like he almost lumbers, yeah. yeah, from. From spot to spot, he doesn't yeah. move that much. I, I love yeah. that scene where he blows up the car just to distract people to get into yeah. the pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize that's what he was doing, but he just kind of casually strolls into the pharmacy and grabs the painkillers or whatever he needs. Yeah, he, well, and yeah. he doesn't that he doesn't even break stride. Yeah, right. Like that he, he this sets a giant up, explosion happens. Yeah, was, very I mean, loud and striking. Yeah, oh, that's another great on. another great Deacon's moment too, where he has the camera in front of him with the glass panes behind yeah. him that get blown out. As he oh, just walks insane. towards us, yeah, yeah that that that's a very uh, memorable shot, um, and that you find out after that that he has this massive gunshot wound, right, and like that's why he's walking weird, and you don't realize that 
He's, he's like he's the been, Terminator. He's been walking around like that for, you know, half a day. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is uh, good filmmaking. There's like, a couple of self-surgery scenes in this film. Yes. And they're hard to watch. <laughs> yes. That, they're all very resourceful characters. I'll give them that. They are. Yeah. Yeah. I think setting it in Texas is important to that. Just that like, you're like sort of self. The self-made man. Yeah. You're self-made man. You're able to. Very rugged and survivalist. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also interesting that's a period piece. It's like an '80s mm-hmm. period piece. I'm not. I, I guess that just like stops them from having cell phones, or I don't well, it also <laughs> lets them yeah. have the guy be a Vietnam vet. Yeah, it does, yeah, which is yeah. An that's important true. Plot point. It is. Um, and the uh, the book takes place. It's based on a book by uh, Cormac McCarthy, um, which he originally intended to be a screenplay. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it, it ended up there. Um, yeah. Yeah, because he, he was credited. Um, so, yeah, the, the book takes place in the 80s, so there is that as well. Did you see The Road? I read The Road. No. Have you seen the movie? No, I've only read it, the book. It's a, it's a bummer. <laughs> it's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, pretty the, dark. The book certainly was. So. Okay. Right. McCarthy knows how to make things pretty dark. a bummer. But yeah, I mean, he, uh, he. I feel like I've read something else by him, and I'm. It, it's escaping me, but that that is his style. Um, very... And that's why he's like no to the point. point. Um, yeah. yeah, and short sentences, very explicit about what he's saying. He uh, was on a hot streak of movies for a while. There's the road. There's this one. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, I feel like there's another one that I'm forgetting about. He did, he, didn't he do um, like all the pretty horses? Uh, with that sounds right. I never Matt Damon. saw it, but um, yeah, I, think I haven't that, heard of that one. I think that uh, that's another like uh, I think more Mexican movie. I think it takes place in Mexico. Uh, but yeah, he did that as well. It was the the counselor, which is oh like a dad. Okay, I haven't We're seen. Also it. with Javier Verdim and Cameron Diaz, I think. Yeah, I've heard that's one. That was one that uh, might be due for a, a reconsideration, but I haven't seen it, so I I can't say. I feel like I saw it and was just like, what? what? <laughs> like, what is this? So so maybe not. Okay, all the pretty horses, no country for old men, the gardener's son, Sunset Limited. Wow. Um, the road. Yeah, that's Child of God, which is directed by James Franco. Sure. Yeah. I don't know anything about that one. Yeah. Um, and there's a rumored adaptation of Blood Meridian. That is overdue, probably. That's that's his most... Well, prior to No Country, that was his most well-known book, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about him. I feel like I've heard some negative things about him, but I, I feel like I don't know... I, I, he's written a lot. Cormac. He's he's prolific. He's mm-hmm. you go to Barnes and Noble and there's like a fucking Cormac McCarthy section. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he, most of the criticisms come from just like he exclusively writes books about like sad cowboys. <laughs> and, <laughs> he's got his niche. Yeah. yeah. And Dude's doing dude things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most of the critique comes from that. That's what the road was. Perspective. Yeah. His wife is kind of a villain in the huh. movie. Yes. Because she like abandons them, and then it's about like a father son relationship, right? And and even in this movie, there's you know two female characters, two or three, and they none of them really do that much. Um, I think that the the wife character is important, but she doesn't really get that much screen time and or much development. She's um, very unceremonious, and as does Josh Brolin. Yes, which is die like off that screen. was that, that was yeah. very peculiar to me. Yeah, um, and that that is brought up frequently. The that so much of the killing um, doesn't happen on screen. Um, some of it does, obviously, but not all of it. And that we have our lead character die literally unceremoniously. There's, it's not even depicted. Um, 
is is important. So I don't know how, how do you guys read that one? That's a pretty like anti-film choice. Yes, because to just like kill the main character off on off the screen. I think it's great. It's kind of no, I, I like it. I think it's a good choice. I yeah, I think it's a good choice. choice. So I wish more movies would do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, most yeah. movies aren't that invested in their thematics like this one is. Like the, killing him off screen is. Like diminishing him as any kind of uh, diminishing his significance, right? Yeah. Like this, this guy is just some guy. Like he, he happened to have found this money. He happened to have been on the run. Like he, he's just one more in a long line of murders. Mm-hmm. Um, that and he isn't any more or less important than any of the other people that happen to have died on or off screen here. Even just the act of like killing the main character. Like I wish more media would would actually kill the main that. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we spoke about this in Black Panther. Yep. Where, like I think it would have been a truly revolutionary movie if, <laughs> if T'Challa had died. <laughs> if T'Challa had died, um, and I think it's one of the great turns in in a Game of Thrones. Yeah. To, to to kill off the main character. That's like the real genius of the first book and the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they did it again too. Like they've they've done that multiple times, which is it yeah. Works once you twice. set yourself up to do it, then it's like I was still very surprised when Rob Stark died. Yeah, that was genuinely shocking to me. I had read the book at that point, but okay. yeah. I had not, so I was truly surprised. By so that. the book doesn't treat Rob as like a main character, so okay. it's it's not as surprising in the book. He does have chapters, right. but when he gets killed, it's not. It, it's still a shock because the way they're read, right. but it's not like killing the main character. He's not set up as a main character like the other characters okay. are. But he certainly wasn't the show. Like he was yes. the new lead, and yeah, yeah, pulling that again was. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Charles, you haven't seen Game of Thrones. I have not seen Game of Thrones. Okay. Well, well at this point, got, you're not going to. You just got double spoiler. No, I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so spoilers for Game of Thrones from like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> at least. At, at least. least. Um, but returning to, to this movie, um, it's really a story of three guys. Uh, we have the Bardem character that we talked about, Roland, and then Tommy Lee Jones is the police officer. Yeah, what's interesting about the Tommy Lee Jones character is he's set up to like be the guy that's investigating this. Yep, and he doesn't. He, he doesn't at all. He doesn't seem <laughs> that interested no. in it. He, but he interacts with the story in like a very distant way. Like he goes to the crime, some of the crime scenes. Others he declines to go to. Yes. Which is, I think, one of the only funny moments in the movie where the the one character is like, hey, do you want to go check the crime scene? He's just like, no. Yeah. Like, uh, they're still <laughs> dead, right? Is what he they're says. still dead. Yeah, they're still dead. <laughs> There's right? no new dead bodies, right? right. <laughs> yeah, okay, then no. Yeah. I mean, he's the only one that gets laugh lines, I think. Yeah. Is Timberly Jones. The other thing that I thought was interesting about the film is normally the Coen brothers kind of set up these, like, idiot characters. Yeah, there aren't here. And, yeah, everybody here in the film That's is, true. is actually, like... usually, like, a main character who gets, like, who stumbles into a situation like in Big Lebowski? That's Big Lebowski, which that's... is kind of what happens here, right? But it's not. Right, but he's, he's not, not stupid about it. He's yeah, yeah, he's very capable. And um, so Tommy Lee Jones is like this sort of sidekick, much mm-hmm. younger cop who's like pretty enthusiastic about being, being a cop being and a cop. like investigating crimes and stuff. Yeah. And when they go to the crime scene, that guy is able to read the crime scene really well, mm-hmm. and they set it up like they're not. The, the way the structure of the film is, like, the, there's this initial massacre that happens off screen, and then Anton Chigurh kills these two businessmen who bring him to the crime scene, 
and your your sort of expectation as a viewer is that that has spoiled the crime scene. They're going to be confused as to like why these two what guys happened? here. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, this other guy, show up. The other guy is able to like read that instantly yep. from from the crime scene, and so it's like I feel like in in another Coen Brothers film, they would have been confused and like put off track by and done some crazy like shit. what was happening yeah, in the crime yeah. scene, which is basically what happens in. Um, um, what's the spy movie with Brad Pitt? Um, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading is essentially that. Yeah. Where just like everybody is like <laughs> yeah, only, super dumb. Yeah, every and, character is like Yeah, that. every character <laughs> yeah. Is, is dumb. And yeah. And yeah, they're all off track because there isn't anything to find. And yeah. Yeah. Um, like, the, I mean, I think that's, again, one of the most interesting things about this film. Like, you, you could have made yeah. an entirely different movie that started like a few hours earlier. So you see the drug deal that goes bad. You follow the younger cop as he competently examines the crime and investigates what's going on. You know more about the Jeffrey Root character and yeah. like who's actually masterminding this thing. You could have made this a very traditional like cops and robbers movie, right? Where you just you just shift the camera, you just shift the focus a little bit. But mm-hmm. instead it's all it, it's all three of these guys that are like a step or two behind everybody else. Right, like even even the Bardem character, he shows up to the crime scene after the deal has gone down and gone bad. Right, like even mm-hmm. he is a step behind. You see, well, he's part of the cleanup crew, so that's expected. Right, but again, like it, I think it is it matters that he is he is late. Like he is late yeah. to the scene. Tommy Lee Jones, the same thing. Like you literally see him entering these scenes when he does decide to show up, which is not often after everything else has already happened there, right? Like, he's, he, they point out that he is, you know, a few hours late to catch Bardem with the milk that's the condensation yeah. on the milk, right? And I, I think you, you see this over and over again that it's, they're just a little bit too slow. He seems to keep showing up and missing yeah. the guy and going something along the lines of, I'm getting too old for this shit. Right, yeah, and it's, it, that's basically it. And that's his decision then is to just retire, right? Like, he can't keep up. Um, and I think that is... It's such an interesting thing about this film that so much of the most important events happen off screen. Right, it's kind of the punchline at the end of the film too, when yep. he he shows up to the motel by himself late at night, and they keep cutting to Bardeen like hiding, hiding in a corner. Yeah, that was such a so fake good. out. Yeah, it's so good. And then it terrifying. turns out he's not there, and that yep. they're in different. They're showing different moments in time. Yeah, it's like a sense of the lamps moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, um, and it works. Yeah, it works really, <laughs> really well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, so, yeah, I think that that is important, that, that so much of the most important stuff isn't actually depicted in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, let's talk more about the the, the Josh Brolin character, because we've, we've skipped over him a little bit. Yeah. Brolin is rangy in that he's great in some things and really bad in other things. What haven't you liked him in? Uh, I just remember... Sorry. Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> but I, I, I broadly like him. Like I, I, when I see Josh Brolin in something, I'm like, okay, that's a plus for me. Yeah. Or maybe his film choices just aren't as good. Like that, he shows up in bad films. He was in uh, Men in Black 3, I think. I think oh, that was him, right? Yes. Yeah. I remember him, doing, Tommy, a, I remember him doing a very good Tommy Lee Jones impression. <laughs> in that right. One, that's that's a good example, kind of though, of like the sort of film choices that that's fair but he's just like he's pulled into pop films i'm sure he's cashing good checks for that he's in two comic Um, book movies coming out this year yeah he's having a good year he's just like not always uh 
um, making great film choices. Yeah, but sometimes he really is, right? Like yeah. here, um, he did Sicario, which is phenomenal, and he's phenomenal. Sicario's incredible, in it. yeah, and yeah. very similar to this film. In, yes, and yeah, it yeah. is. Um, yeah, both you know Texas crime movies. Sicario is like the kind of reactionary version of this film, right? Uh, maybe yeah. I, I'd have to watch it again. Like I, I think there's potentially more going on there. And Del's, Dennis Villanueva is not, I don't think, a reactionary guy. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. But it didn't, it still was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in any event, I, I think he is he's pitch perfect here. I feel like you could watch Sicario and take the wrong message well, away from Yeah, it. you can do yeah. that with a lot of movies, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, Sicario in particular, because it's set up to be like about Mexican crime and yeah. um, like the border and the, mm-hmm. the politics of it. And it it's it's not it's not clear always in its messaging. So Look, I, I would yeah. I would have to watch it again, which may speak yeah. to the lack of clarity that you're referring to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in this movie, I think Josh Brolin is is very good. Um, yeah, he's great. I, yeah, uh, yeah, he is almost an anti cone hero, like you pointed out, because of his competence. Like he, it's has good ideas, right? <laughs> like he has a pretty good plan. To get rid of this money, or to get this money, and to get his wife in a safe space, and to—he's always so close to getting it's, away. But he is again a step behind. And it was like, so like an people. act of sympathy that yeah. set him off on the wrong road. Yeah, yeah. Like oh, if he man. had made a more evil choice, it seemed like he was willing to do that because he seemed pretty nonchalant about this dying guy at the crime scene. Right, but it's a, but if he had it's, made that yeah, choice, but it weighed on him. If he had yeah. made that choice earlier, it's yeah. a, it's another example of being too slow. Right, like if he had decided early on that he's going to help this man, he would have been in a better position. Right, he would have been mm-hmm. safer. Right, and it, so it's again this movie about not that's explicitly not about fate. That it, that it's about the choices that we're making, and his choices to wait to help this guy, the choice to hold on to the two million dollars rather than not do that, mm-hmm. and to, the choice to to keep running over and over again and to put his wife in danger. Like it's. He was not fated to die. He show he made choices that put him in a position that would make death very likely. And his yeah. wife, his wife too. Yeah. Sugar points that out. But like, yeah, your these, your husband chose this, yeah. which in a sense is true in that he knew what the consequences of the likely consequences of his actions are. Yeah. But in another much more immediate sense, it's not true because Sugar is the one that's killing her. Yes, not the, yeah. not the husband. <laughs> uh, so I, again, like I, the this, the more I think about it, the more this movie, this seems like an anti-fate movie. A movie that's that's very much not about the universe acting upon you, but about you acting within the universe. Um, and that is important. They also made a non-Tarantino choice where they just showed what's in the box. In the case, so yeah, like, it's true. Like, and they're very <laughs> It's a bunch of money. They're explicit. They're like, this is about $2, $2 million. Yep. In this yeah, uh, I, I thought uh, it was a good detail. They were like... The the entire time, what we're concerned with is this bag that contains two two million dollars. Two million dollars. Yeah, exactly. And um, and that which we is yes, go about ahead. seven million dollars in today's. No, we checked. I, okay, I checked. It was it one of the first things that I checked. <laughs> right, because nice. Brolin gets that great line yeah. that that's something like, like how how far would you go to get your two million dollars back? Something like that when he's when his wife asks him. Yeah. Like if they're going to be safe or something, and so he knew, right? <laughs> like he knew. Yeah. How dangerous this was! He knew what he was getting himself into, um, and which which makes this all the more uh, clear and all the more tragic. Yeah, um, but he saw he saw the path to freedom, just like the robbers in Point Break. He had to yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, but 
still, yeah, that's the series of choices. Yeah, there are some kind of like almost supernatural elements to the movie, though, where mm-hmm. like uh, Woody Harrelson's able to find him very easily, and that seems like it would have been an impossible task. And same with Anton. Schier. There's a couple moments yeah. that aren't uh, uh, that are intentionally obscured, yeah. right? That to, to emphasize, I think, this inevitability inevitability of death yeah. thing. Yeah, um, that they undercut at the end. I'm convinced that they're undercutting that. But yeah, there. I think there are plot points in here that are not explainable. Um, that you really just have to accept that yeah. it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Woody Harrelson not in this film very long, nope. but great, great character. Always, he's just yeah. always good and everything. Yeah, <laughs> he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, what was he supposed to be? Uh, he was just another hitman. Or fixer or whatever, like the like the sugar. So like an character. equivalent to sugar, but like less good. Yeah, like the the root character points out that um, they had hired multiple guys. That if they have more people out there looking, they're more likely to find it, and that that makes Anton upset, um, and that's part of the reason he's doing what he's doing. Um, so yeah, he's just he has the same job as as Anton, but uh, isn't a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> slightly less psychopathic. Like, like, he's probably still out there yeah. telling people. He's on the on the scale somewhere. Yeah. Um, this is also an action movie, uh, in a lot of senses. Yeah, um, there's a wiki page, or for the guns. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That, yeah. that you. Or I found. Or it's not IMDb. <laughs> it's like I am. It's like yeah. IMDFD. Internet of Firearms and Movies database. Yeah, or something yeah. Like that. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I wanted to figure out what he was using. Well, they describe it in the movie. Yeah, but there. I wanted to see if it was real, first of all. <laughs> and it was. It's a real kettle yeah, it's slaughtering a, tool. Yeah, it's called a contained bolt rifle. Right. And so there, there's there's a bolt, like, in that thing that he's putting on. And mm-hmm. the air, like, blows the bolt really fast. And then it retracts, like, back into the... So you don't need any, like, ammo for it. Um, but you couldn't shoot things at, like, a distance with it. You have to right. put it, like... Because it, that's right. what it's for. Yeah. Yeah. You get up close. Um, but what's confusing is that he switches between that and like a uh, a silenced rifle. Or a yeah, he basically ditches yeah. it, uh, like a third into the movie for the shotgun. Yes. Yeah. Well, he still uses it to like open doors and stuff like that because they show it being very effective <laughs> at blowing out the yeah. lock mechanism of of door handles. Yes. And they he established that. He does that at least three times in the film. Yeah. One one time he hits somebody with it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he hits Josh Brolin yeah. with it. He hits him in the chest, and then Josh like shoots through yep. the through yeah, the door. Own the and that's when they're both injured. Yeah, and that's yeah. such a masterful action sequence. That's the one I was thinking of. When yeah, because they don't see each other; they're shooting each other through the door. Right, like, but they, well, yeah. they have like a, an extended shootout as well. Yeah. yeah, that yeah that whole scene there, like that the, the Cone Brothers yeah. can come along. In 2007, like well into their careers at this point, largely doing like goofy comedies and like m- murder mystery stories and shit like that, and just do a masterclass in action filmmaking is stunning. I mean, Deacons is. He, he certainly did his work there too. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean, right? Like yeah, totally. these guys directed that sequence. And yeah. it is just. You could teach a class on that, like just beat for beat, mm-hmm. how well constructed that is, like how well it, it draws out tension and builds it and releases it at just the right moment, like how it tracks all the action through through this hotel, out the window, back into the hotel, back out the hotel, into the street, 
into the car, behind the car, and you like can yeah. track it every beat of the way. And an important thing about this movie is they've established the fragility of the characters throughout. Yeah. Uh, even when they're very competent, uh, or even the Shigur character like being such a force of nature, um, both of them are fallible and very vulnerable. Yeah. And when they get hurt, it really matters. And so that adds a lot of weight to these scenes. Yeah, like what they, they do it really early on when um, Josh Brolin is fleeing the truck and he gets dinged in the shoulder or the arm and he yeah. has to go home and he has to stitch it up and pull out the bullet and it, like do all of this. And like he almost dies from it. Right, yeah, you're exactly right that they... Yeah, that, that makes the action scenes that much scarier when you know that even a slight graze from the gunshot, like could kill them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's another uh, spot where they conclude it with this almost semi-supernatural moment where Anton just disappears. Right, like he's, they, he hasn't pinned, like Brolin thinks he hasn't pinned behind this car, that he's dead to rights, that he's hurt, and he's just not there anymore. And like it's so He creepy. ran down the alleyway. It's it, a dark alleyway. Right, It's but it's so creepy, right? Like that he's just, yeah, like this specter. That can just come and go however he pleases. Brolin also shoots from the hip a lot. I think, like, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, like when he's walking across the street. Pull that, oh yeah, with a rifle. <laughs> like, that's pull that gun crazy. up. You'll, you'll yeah. hit your target a lot more. Shooting from the hip is like, Real yeah, you're, yeah, you're like a five percent to hit. With your <laughs> One thing I appreciate. You only get something like a blunderbuss or something, yeah. like, which One, he kind of uses. He saws off the uh, mm -hmm. rifle, which is yeah. kind of sweet. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I appreciate about that scene was they kind of subvert your expectations a bit because. Uh, Earlier in the movie, he like hitchhikes to get away from a hotel, and then the guy's like, "Oh, you shouldn't be hitchhiking, young man. It's really dangerous, you know." Yeah. And then in this part, he tries to hitchhike again to get away from that scene. You think, "Oh, maybe the guy picking him up is going to be trouble because they've established that hitchhiking yeah. is dangerous earlier." Yeah. And then the 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 guy who's trying to help him gets shot. Yeah. Like instantly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it turns out he was right. Like hitchhiking is dangerous. Right. Just not in the <laughs> way that you expected. Right. You think that maybe this guy is like you know one of the Mexican drug people. Yeah. Somebody we, we know, but. No, he's just a victim. Also, Another. Josh Rosen is also like incredibly careful to the point where you're like, oh, this is ridiculous. But then yeah. it, it turns out he's right to be so careful. So like when he drives by the motel room yep. and you're, they're like, they're, come on, like you're being ridiculous. And then he gets the room behind the room and then yep. like pulls the case through the through the ventilation mm -hmm. system. You're like, yeah. oh, that's ridiculous. Turns out he's totally right because Sugar like comes into that motel room and there's three assassins like waiting for him yep yeah. ready to go yeah because i think they said that in his first given... use of like blowing out the lock yeah <laughs> chamber Sorry. i think they said that they'd given the the mexicans a transponder as well yep. to see if they could have them searching for yeah that same strategy that where they hired woody harrelson yeah um, yeah well, and the irony of it is that yes he was right to be super cautious yeah. right yes he was right to you know put the the money in the vent and to get all these fucking camping poles and to break it up with the hanger and all this. Yeah. And it didn't fucking matter. Right? It didn't yeah. matter. He died anyways. His wife died. Like he didn't get anything that he wanted. Right? Like so he executes this perfectly. He makes all these good choices, but because of the earlier bad choice to keep the money in the first place and the ongoing bad choice to attempt to keep the money. He's already doomed. It, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter how resourceful he it is. It doesn't matter. Um, so in that sense, I think this movie is also an indictment of of greed, right? I, the uh, the other important moment in at the end of the film is um, after the car crash, and Anton pays that kid the hundred dollars for his shirt, and he brings up the sling, and he's walking up, and the you can hear the kids. So there's two of them fighting about the money, 
They yeah. say, like, what's my cut? The kid that mm-hmm. the other kid says, what's my cut? He says, well, you still have your shirt. Why should you get any? Yeah. And they, like, start shoving each other about it. And it's just, like, right off screen. And they pan away from it as as Sugar walks away and out of the movie eventually. Um, but I think that that is so important, that that's what the kids are fighting about, that this guy thinks that he has some sort of stake in this money that he got, that this guy is willing to accept money that he was ready to turn down earlier. He says, that's an awful lot of money, mister, for just a shirt. And now all of a sudden, an awful lot of money is not enough and he's not willing to split with his friend. And I think that's really critical, right? That that these kids are fighting over money that was literally found and that Josh Brolin has this found money that he was living a fine life, seemingly happy with his fiance or I mean, his wife. It didn't look like he was doing great. No, uh, it didn't. But it looked like he was. They were basically happy together, yeah. right? Like they have this little banter at the beginning of the movie. They, I, I buy that they love each other, right? Mm-hmm. That he is living normally. Yeah. Right. And that he suddenly finds this money, and it just literally destroys him and his entire family and everything he ever cared about. Right. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think with films like this, I'm always like, yeah, but like, still. Like, yeah. He, <laughs> right. It is reasonable for like him to like need the money. Right. Yeah. It is reasonable for him to need the money. Yeah. But is it, he consciously accepts these risks. Yeah. Like significant life destroying risks. That's true. For the money. Right. If, if he were to, if someone were to knock on his door and say, here's, you know, $2 million risk free. No one's going to knock him for taking it. And no one's yeah. going to call him greedy for taking it. But if someone says, here's $2 million and you and your wife may die in a week, maybe you're correct to criticize him for taking that money. Yeah. And that's essentially the choice that he made here. And I think that that's yeah. really important. Or here's $2 million and uh, flip a coin. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I, I think that this movie is also a critique of of that, which is really what's motivating Brolin this entire time. is just his greed. Yeah. Just his desire to, to have more. Um so yeah, it's a it's a complex film. <laughs> it is a complex. Film. It is a complex film. Do we do we have any closing thoughts on this film? Uh, yeah, we haven't talked about the dream yet, and I think that that's really important. The Tommy Lee, the Jones Tommy Lee Jones dream. Yeah. Um, so I know we're probably getting up against our time right now, but Charles, I'm interested how that the very end of the movie played for you. Um, I had to replay that scene like twice to try to translate what he was saying from Texan into English. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It was a strange way to end the movie. They just kind of cut off when he said, I woke up. Yeah. Um, I get the impression like the dream was about, well, I mean, it seemed to be clearly about like death because he talked about how his father had died pretty young. Mm -hmm. He's the older um, man. And his father had like kind of rode ahead of him and he knew his father was waiting for him in death. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that beyond the surface level like, oh, you know, mortality is inevitable and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think that that's a, a significant part of it. Um, I also think it's more optimistic. It's, I think it's the most optimistic part of the film. Um, in that, he talks about how his dad is going to go into the cold and into the darkness that is unknown and misunderstood, and he's going to build a fire, and he's going to make it warm, and he's going to be ready for him. And I think that there's this sense that there is some, there is the possibility of something more out there for you, right? That you can you can get something better. Like that does seem weirdly more. optimistic compared to like the treatment of death throughout the rest of the movie. Right. Yeah, and think, this is... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I think what separates a Tommy Lee Jones character from all the other characters in the film is that he's he's willing to let something go. 
Yeah. Good point. Where he like he doesn't like finish the investigation. He just like retires. And you can see him thinking about it and it does bother him, but he's made the choice and he can't go back. And right. Yeah, he's like the only so, character that realizes he's in too deep and decides not to keep going, I yes. guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that returns to our earlier point about this movie not being about fate and about being about choices. Right, that if you make good choices, you can look forward to something better. Yeah. Right, that the the universe is not going to punish you simply for the sake of it. That you have some control over what your life is. And, and here he is, happy in retirement. And, yes, exactly. Yeah. And it, able to have, he can go riding. He can hang out with his wife. He can do whatever he wants to do, and he can, you know, be reasonably physically secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is really. Yeah, ties a bow on on the film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's super important. Yeah. There was another interesting point um, that I'd thought about, uh, where they talk about how sugar kind of operates on essentially like a series, a set of laws or principles, and I'm not sure what those are. Neither. But it's an interesting commentary on people who define the morality by by specific principles, kind of like a Kantian it, philosophy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and to me. I think the critique there is that these set of principles are really just a series of built-in excuses for his behavior. Yeah, right? exactly. Like if, if you can if you can set up like there we shouldn't be valuing moral codes for their own sake. If your moral code is garbage and leads to you murdering a bunch of people, then your code sucks yeah. and you adhering <laughs> to it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make you good, right? So yeah, if, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, about. so if his moral code is it's okay for me to kill, kill people if they guess the wrong coin flip, <laughs> that's not valuable. That's not something we should be crediting him for. That that we should be correctly critiquing that. And correctly identifying it as really just a, a built-in layer of excuses for for his behavior, which is really what he's doing this entire movie, taking no responsibility for anything that he does. No. Yeah. So it's like you have to consider not just your principles, but like the results of them. And if, yes. if they distort your actions to lead to these terrible ends, then what good are your principles in the first yeah. place? Exactly. Um, it, well, okay, so those were my closing thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, you, I mean, I think this film is great. It's one, one of the greats. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think it will be remembered. It's already remembered as one of the greats, and I think it will it continue to be elevated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, um, just an all-timer. Any thoughts for you, Charles? Or? Um, I mean, I don't know how I'll think about this movie in a week or in a month, um, but I think it's one of those movies that I'll appreciate more and more the more I think about it. That's been my experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. you're so I, I, Although I, I feel like I'll that's probably... true of a lot of Coen Brothers films. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So I think I'll like it more the more I think about it. We've been talking about Burn After Reading. I, I, I'm not going to suggest it this week, but I think you should watch it because it's, uh-huh. it's very funny. It right. might be I, the funniest movie. It's high on the list. Of, of theirs? Yeah. Of theirs. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's up there. Yeah. God, that's a great movie. It is. Um, yeah. yeah. J.K. Simmons is Kills it. Great. Again. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be back in a little bit for things we've seen. Seen. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> seen. Sod. <laughs> Stay tuned. And we're back with things that we've seen. So, Wilson, what have you seen? Uh, well, last week I went to the Metrograph. Um, I do that a lot of weeks. And I saw uh, 2046 by Long Car Way. Uh, he is... Uh, often associated with Korea. I believe he's actually from Singapore. Um, two zero, no, he's from Shanghai. I, mis, I misremembered. Um, 2046 is a spiritual and in some ways direct sequel to his most famous film, In the Mood for Love. Um, in the Mood for Love was, came out in 2001. It's a 
romance um, to relatively bougie people, a man and a woman um, living in China, realize that each of their respective spouses are cheating on them and they grow closer together, commiserating over that and it ends tragically. Um, the male character from that movie um, is picked up and moved to, uh, I think Singapore, that's why I was thinking of Singapore, because this movie takes place in Singapore, mm -hmm. moves to Singapore and this follows his recovery from that relationship. Uh, it's told, like many Wong Kar Wai movies, uh, told in multiple vignettes. Um, the movie that got him famous was called Chungking Express, which is really just three short films, one after the other. Uh, this one functions in a similar way where it follows this man as he grows closer and closer to various women that are staying in this apartment complex that he's living in um, and pulls away at the last minute because he has not recovered from his earlier relationship that did not end well. Alongside that, it's told in parallel with a, uh, in a story within a story, the man is a science fiction author and much of his experience is depicted metaphorically in the story he is writing uh, called 2046. Um, and the uh, many of the same actors and that appear in the main love story appear again in the side science fiction story um, in a metaphorical fashion. Um, if you have not seen a Wong Kar Wai movie before, this is not the one to start with. Um, in the Mood for Love is, Chung Kang Express is, but this was a very good movie. I liked it a lot. It does not screen that often in the United States, um, so I had to kind of jump on the tickets here to see it at Metrograph. I, I don't even think it was available for streaming for a while. I think it is now, but for many years so this, it was this not. this is a new movie? No, it's not. Um, it came out in like 2008, okay. I, I want to say. Uh, no, 2004. Um, so it's... Okay. It's been around a little while at this point, but it did not get much of a distribution. It did not get as much attention as in The Mood for Love or even Chunking Express, um, but it is very, very good. Um, and it's a, it, an easy recommend for me. I think it's easier to track it down now, too. It's, I think it's still screening at Metrograph for our New York listeners. Um, and for other folks, I think it is available on streaming, uh, having not been available for many years. But it's strong, strong recommend for 2046, but watch In the Mood for Love first. Okay. Uh, Crossman, you see anything good? Yeah, so this, I actually saw this a minute ago, but um, it's a good film. Um, <laughs> so I, I saw the Jumanji sequel, Welcome to the Jungle, <laughs> is the subtitle of it. Um, and I, it was one of these films where I kept seeing good reviews for it, even though it looked like garbage. It did yeah. look like garbage. Um, so I saw it in theaters and we came away actually like really liking the yeah? film. Okay. It's, it's very funny. Um, it stars The Rock, it stars uh, Kevin Hart and Jack Black and Karen um, Gillen, I think is how to say her last I name. So. Um, Reese Darby is also in it, he's hilarious. Um, Jack Black and Kevin Hart are hysterical <laughs> in this film and really kind of the reason to watch the film. It's a, it's a sequel, but not like a direct sequel of the first film because none of the characters Return. It's a video game now, right? Rather than a board game. Yeah, it's like a okay. PS1 game, essentially, <laughs> that gets like... It's a but there, ancient technology. Well, there's a, there's a reason, there's a story reason why it's like a PS1 game. Okay. Uh, like, they do, like, explain it. It's, it's ridiculous, but... Whatever, but yeah. The reason, the reason is funny. Um... So it starts out with a group of high schoolers. They they're they're sort of put on detention, mm -hmm. and like as part of, as part of their detention, they're like 
relegated to this like supply closet and they're like told to like clean it. So this is like an up. extreme version of the Breakfast Club. It is, yeah, it is actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, they play the Juman. It turns out the game is like in that closet. They play the game and they get like transported to right. to Jumanji. Um, the funny turn or comedic turn to this is that the group of high schoolers is um, two girls and two boys. Right. And the main characters are three men and one woman. And okay. so Jack Black is the like embodiment of, of this like sort of kind of stereotypically ditzy, hot, like high school girl. Got it. And so it's so funny because Jack <laughs> Jack Black, like Jack Black kind of like playing this high school right, girl is right. so funny. Nice. It um, looked like it would be kind of cringy and bad in the trailers, but I guess it's sold better. In the it's movie. it's done pretty well, and I think mm-hmm. it shows why Jack Black is such a good like comedic supporting actor. He's a good just a, any kind of actor, right? He's just a good actor, I think. Yeah, like, yeah, he's fine. Some of the leads that he's done have not been like. It, it, did you see Bernie? No, but I hear that's also kind of a film that it's really good. Is really huh. is I liked it a lot. So yeah. Um, Kevin Hart also plays a character who, like, as a high schooler, was, like, a jock. He's now the diminutive yeah. Kevin Hart. Um, they play that for laughs, too. Um, and they do a lot of stuff with, like, it's kind of a Revenge of the Nerds thing, because, like, the main character is nerdy, and his knowledge of video games actually, like, helps them in And he in gets Jibachi. to be the rock. He gets to be the rock, which is which is also a critique of, like, how video game characters right. work and is funny. Um, yeah, it's... It's it's kind of like a charming and funny film. It's not a great film by any means, but it's it's very funny if you're looking for like a good comedy. And Solid. It. It's very watchable. No, that is <laughs> in line with what I've heard yeah. about it. And it, it goes. It's like a good like, you know, it carries itself really well. There's no like down moment in the movie. So I do wish I got around to catching that in theaters. So I'll have to wait. I'm, for I'm sure it'll be on airplanes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll have the opportunity to yeah, watch it. But it, it's one of those like pop films that's like actually good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. I mean, that's good that those exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are in the world. Nice and fun. How about you, Charles? Anything worthwhile? So I have not had a chance to see any new movies uh, since last time, but I am very excited about the upcoming TV season. I've been raving about it to everyone because basically all my shows are coming back within the next month. So we got like Westworld and The yes. Expanse coming back throughout April, and so I'm super excited for those. And some other comedic shows like Archer and New Girl are coming back. Archer's when's Archer? Yeah, they just yeah. released a trailer late April. Uh, they've got like an Indiana Jones like island exploration. Theme. I'm into it. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Um, but for things that I've actually seen, Silicon <laughs> Valley came back last week, um, and I really love that show. Um, and I also like the direction it's going because one problem I had with the show is that it felt like it was kind of spinning its wheels and constantly um, not progressing the plot enough. Um, because they keep doing this thing where they have some great idea and they're gaining traction on it and they're moving towards becoming a real company because they're like doing a tech startup, right? And they're trying to be successful with their technology. They keep getting to the point where it seems like they're going to break through and then something happens that completely like wipes away all their progress and they go back to becoming, you know, five dudes in a living room programming again. And they've done that for... Oh, they're on their, like their fifth season now, I think, and they haven't progressed beyond that point. And that got really frustrating in the fourth season when it happened again. But now they've finally committed. Uh, they have a real idea, and it started out with them. It's going to work this time. It started with them building their company, looking for office space, trying to hire developers, 
Um, so it looks like they're finally advancing them beyond the five people in a living room uh, situation. And I'm really excited to see where they take that. And they had, they had to write out T.J. Miller, right? Because he's they did. like a super creep, it turns out. Yeah, they wrote him out. Um, and, you know, that's fine. Okay, they handled it well. Yeah, I mean, he was a great character. I'm going to miss his presence on the show. Right, but yeah, he, like, so he came up during Me Too and... Like his stories were pretty vile, pretty heinous. Yeah, yeah like it, it, this wasn't like, you know, oh, we went up against the line. It was like extreme stuff. Jeez. Um, so yeah, they were right to get rid of him. Uh, yeah. They've had to deal not with that specifically, but one of the main characters died uh, from first season, the second season. Yeah, they had that to was like strange. sort through that. The, the guy who it's, played the like the boss, the yeah, the like investor figure, the mastermind, the yes. actor died. Wow. And, and they actually the dealt with character. it in a very way that was like funny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I, I read about this. So Mike Judge, who created the show, he, he talked to this guy's family and was like, is it okay if we like do, do this? Whatever the joke is. And yeah, they're making fun of kind of like a, a tech rich person, like find yourself moment. He oh. like, he ends up like dying on safari, or okay, so, but for like a dumb reason, right? Okay, and so they like ran that, that by the family, and they said, "Yeah, you can do that. It's actually funny." And, okay, and well, so it's weird. It's interesting that they were able to handle it in a funny way, right? Like, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Well, and, that was, and they didn't did, they didn't have to run it by the family, yeah. and it's good that they did, obviously. Yeah. Um, so okay. I. I like this show. I haven't consistently watched it, but I do like it. And one of the reasons I like it is that it's a Mike Judge uh, creation. And I've said this offline in some of our conversations, but I think Mike Judge is actually like the best like working comedy yeah. like creator right now, and has been actually for like the past almost three decades now. What else? Since King of the Hill. No, so he created uh, Beavis and Butthead, Daria. Uh, Silicon Valley, King of the Hill. Yeah, 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 you're um, right. I forgot he did Daria. And incredible films. He did yeah. uh, Idiocracy and Office Space. And all, like, <laughs> like <laughs> all, I'm counting on my fingers there. That's, That's like <laughs> six pieces of things that everybody knows and are like all hysterical. Yeah. Yeah, and and different, right? and that, different, that, and yeah. over time, he's able, he's able yeah. to keep up with sort of like the early '90s soccer culture with yep. Beavis and Butthead. Daria goes into the more like edgy like '90s culture. Mm-hmm. King of the Hill, he he just does everything different. He's such a everything is funny. Like, yeah, you're not. Like, I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Idiocracy is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing with Office Space. Same thing with Office Space, and, uh, it, and it has so such. Well. For such a like yeah. small budget film, like it has such cultural cachet, yeah. right? Like everybody yeah. understands at least a couple references from Office Space, even yes. if you haven't seen it. Like you understand yeah. references from Office Space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're right. Um, yeah, my judge is on another level. Yeah, I, I do go around and try to recommend Silicon Valley to as many people as I can because I, I was really blown away by the show. I was really surprised by it because. When I was looking at, when I saw like promotion material for it, I was worried that it'd be similar to like Big Bang Theory or something like that. But I think this show is what Big Bang Theory should have been. It's like, it's actual nerd (laughs) humor that um, is realistic. It plays to like how startup programmers actually operate, um, but still like makes makes fun of it in a good way um, and in a clever way. Like I got into the show because I saw the scene where 
they're estimating how they would most efficiently masturbate everybody in a in a large room. That's the only scene I've seen from the show. Right. Yeah. And I, as soon as I saw that scene, I was like, I gotta see the show. <laughs> but I just thought it was funny because like it is funny. I'd be hanging out with my nerd friends and like we would have problems like this and these <laughs> problems. Just we like would this. come up with random problems like that, not involving masturbating people, but like, you know, we would love to like do these calculations to see like how we would solve these kinds right, of problems. Right, right. If it, it it was very so it realistic too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hear you. I hear uh, you. And it, it it doesn't have the problem that Big Bang Theory has, where it's more like making fun of them. It's more like celebrating their quirks. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it makes fun of like the main character being super socially awkward, but like, no, it's in an endearing way. I think. Yeah, it's, Big Bang Theory is a cruel show. Yeah, it's a it's a mean show. Have you seen the cliffs of it without the laugh track? Yes, I have. <laughs> Man, that is, <laughs> it that hurts, is damning. Man. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. Um, your pick is up next, Crossman. What, what are we going to be watching? Let's uh, let's do their Willy Blood. I think it's okay. a good companion, sure. companion yeah. to this week. Let's so, do it. Going right into um, it. I actually yeah. prefer their Willy Blood to No Country. Interesting. Um, okay. It's very close. And maybe if I watch them in close succession. I'll oh, you like PTA, opinion. though, right? I love PTA. So, so that's why. Um, anyway, I'm, so I'm super excited. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, join us next week for There Will Be Blood. If you're liking the show, please share it on social media or your platform of choice. Um, it makes a big difference, uh, and uh, we really appreciate it. We will see you next week for There Will Be Blood.